Happy New Year. I hope uh, you guys all had a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all the things. Um, I uh, just got back a couple days ago, uh, maybe it's a week ago now, um, from uh, a big trip down to the south. Uh, if you don't know, by the way, my name's Ryan. Uh, thank you. Uh, my name's Ryan, and I'm a pastoral apprentice here. Uh, but I'm actually, uh, I'm, from, well, I'm, I'm from Canada, but I grew up down in Texas. So uh, respect to my uh, Austin Stone peeps. Uh, actually, an amazing thing, uh, your pastor was preaching at the camp that changed my entire life. So it's a, a privilege to gather with you guys. I always think it's amazing when you guys come up here and serve Montreal, and maybe some of you will, will move up here and enjoy what we're doing at some point. Who knows? Uh, praying for that. Uh, but I just got back down from Texas, and it was a good trip, um, and just looking forward to the new year, right? As New Year's approach, um, we, we tend to, what, what comes to mind? Just say the word, you know it resolutions, right? We, we dream about the things to come. We, we look forward to the future and it's just a time of restarting. Uh, I've got, there's a song I love uh, by uh, Sleeping at Last and he talks, it's called January White. It's all about this. That's just this new beginnings, right? Uh, the, the slate is wiped clean in a sense um, and we can just dream about, okay, well that year is complete. Uh, now what is this year going to hold? Uh, and, and we look forward and we fill our minds and, and we get really excited. Maybe we make goals and we say, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to get on social media less. I'm going to work out more. And maybe those last to March. Uh, and maybe for some of us, they last the whole year, right? Um, and then for some of us, we've we given up on resolutions altogether because it just doesn't seem uh, fruitful. We're tired of letting ourselves down. Um, but there's this thing about the new year that causes us to, to look forward and a dream. Um, one of the things that we don't often think about in the new year that, that I want to do that's kind of maybe counterintuitive for how we would start the year is, is I want us to think about suffering, um, how we might suffer in 2020, uh, which is a, a high note to start the year on. Um, but they, what's they say, eat a frog at the beginning of the day and uh, it can only, the day can only get better, right? We're, we're going to start sober-mindedly looking forward to what the year has ahead and, and what it might have in suffering. And uh, I, I want to point you to a, a man named Jonathan Edwards. Back in 1722, maybe you've heard of Jonathan Edwards. He was used in the Great Awakening uh, in uh, North America. And uh, he, he preached and, and it sparked this Great Awakening. He was one of the voices that brought this change that really Christianized uh, America uh, and, uh, and really North America in, in a big way. And when he was 17, or not 17, when he was 19 years old in 1722, uh, he came up with 70 resolutions. They weren't New Year's resolutions, they were life resolutions. And his resolutions are really interesting because they have a lot of things in them that we probably wouldn't think to put in our resolutions. So I just want to read you three of them really fast um, and then we'll get going. Uh, he says, uh, resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying, my own dying in the common circumstances which attend death. Whose who's resolution this year is I'm gonna think a lot about my death, right? Probably not a lot of us. Resolved, when I feel pain, to think of the pains of martyrdom and of hell. Martyrdom meaning dying for Christ, being put to death, suffering unto death for Christ, right? To think of those pains that I could be enduring, to think of the pains of hell, that whenever I'm suffering, I'm gonna reflect on these things. 
Uh, then, then he says this one, resolved after afflictions, uh, after that pain, to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what might I have got by them. So he's thinking, did, how did I grow from this affliction? And how could I have grown that maybe I didn't take advantage of? Uh, Jonathan Edwards understood that suffering is an inevitable part and even an indispensable part of the Christian life. And, and there's a soberness, there's a wisdom to entering not just a year, but life with a soberness about what's to come and thinking, how am I going to handle suffering when it comes? Because it's going to come. This year may have some of the highest highs of your life, but it may have some of the lowest lows of your life. Some of us will welcome new children into this world and some of us will say goodbye to those that we love. We don't like to think about this often, but the reality is that some of us in this room might not live beyond 2020. We might not make it to the end of the year. And it's wise to think about this. It's wise to, to push the, these realities that are daunting in our face. Face them up front and say, what are we gonna do with these? Uh, teach me to number my days, as the scriptures say, right? There, there's a wisdom in this. Maybe you've never given these type of things much thought. Most of us probably try to keep death uh, out of frame, right? We, we try not to think about suffering. We try to, you know, think positive thoughts and uh, have a good attitude. Uh, but there's a wisdom in this. There's a, a help in this. The scriptures would call us to this. And so this morning, our text is actually going to prepare us well for not only thinking about suffering, but it's actually going to call us to something really counterintuitive, but to actually embrace it, to share in suffering. My, my hope for you this year is that you would make this one of your resolutions. Uh, even if you're not a resolution person, that you would resolve to embrace uh, the indispensable role of suffering in the pursuit of everlasting joy. That suffering has an indispensable role in the pursuit of, of everlasting joy. Meaning, indispensable meaning, no suffering, no everlasting joy. No suffering, no joy. You will not get to the everlasting joy without suffering. It is indispensable. And there's at least three ways, or there's going to be three pictures that Paul gives us to kind of paint a holistic picture of why this is. Why is this indispensable? So it's a weird claim to say suffering is necessary for joy, but it's biblical. It's beautifully biblical. And Paul's gonna help us think through these things. And then as we close at the end, we're gonna see how the gospel actually enables us to embrace this suffering, right? It's one thing to, to recognize it's indispensable. We also wanna be able to embrace it. Uh, if it's coming, how are we going to embrace it? So before we jump into the text, I want to give a little context. I want to, uh, to this book is, uh, it's a, a letter that Paul, the apostle, wrote to a disciple of his name, Timothy. Uh, Timothy was like a son in the faith to him. And Paul is at the end of his walk with Jesus. He's at the end of his life. He's, he's nearing death and he's giving these last uh, words of counsel to Timothy. And that counsel has much to do with something he calls a deposit, that, that he has received a deposit from God, like, like something deposited into your bank account. He's received a deposit and he's invested it in Timothy and he inspect, uh, expects Timothy to take that deposit 
and invest it in other men who are gonna teach other men and to teach other people in general and, and that this message would go, this deposit would go forth. And that deposit is the message of Jesus. So the reason we gather here, if you're with us and you've, uh, maybe you've never been to church before, we don't just gather just because we like community. We do like community, but we gather because there's a message that has bonded us together, a truth that has bonded us together and changed our lives. It's the hope of our lives. And this message is the message of Jesus, that Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, uh, is and was God the Son. And God put on skin. He was born as a baby, an innocent baby. We just celebrated that a few weeks ago, right? And he lived a perfect life. The only person in history to live a perfect, sinless life. And he died a death. He was betrayed. He was falsely accused and he was put to death unjustly. And yet that, that death was not a tragedy, that that death was actually purposed by God. It was the reason he was born. Jesus was the baby born to die for a purpose. And that purpose was to redeem you and me. That if we put our faith in Jesus, if you trust in him, you surrender him as your king, as your Lord, his righteousness gets accredited to you, meaning his right standing with the father, his perfect life goes into your account and your sin gets on, put into his account when he died on the cross, it's wiped away. This is the glorious good news that we gather for week by week. And Paul's burden was that Timothy would take that news and he would bring it forth. It would keep going, that the, the message wouldn't die with Paul. It would live on beyond him, that it, it lived before it reached Paul and he expects it to live on after. And so Paul is doing his part to make sure he's saying, Timothy, take this deposit, guard this deposit, invest this deposit. The, the, as we start, just kind of a, a pre-point is that as we talk about this everlasting joy, it's just, it's essential that we recognize that the everlasting joy uh, we're pursuing is only found in Christ. It's found in Christ alone. Uh, th there is no other way to the everlasting joy. You may have moments of happiness, moments of pleasure, moments of a type of joy, but it won't last. And so this is the good deposit Paul is encouraging Timothy to, to invest. And, and in this encouragement, Paul anticipates a potential for fear. Paul recognizes that this message is a dangerous message. Uh, to, to preach this message then and now is not safe. Uh, when we proclaim Christ, we don't just simply proclaim him as like an option on a buffet of, uh, of religions and, and beliefs and say, hey, try this. This worked really good for me. You should try it, right? This isn't like a self-help thing. When we proclaim Christ, what proclaiming Christ is, is saying Jesus is king, right? Kanye West got it right. Jesus is king, not Jesus could be a good king for you. Maybe you should join uh, our kingdom. No, Jesus is the king of everything. It's a reality to be reckoned with. And that's the preaching that saves lives. When, when you go to someone and you say, you don't just say, hey, I, I've tried this thing and it's good for me, but you say, hey, Jesus is the king and you need him. That's when lives are changed. But it's also a dangerous thing because people don't like being told that they need to bow to a new king. 
Nobody does. It takes a miracle of God in our hearts to change us so that we will accept this king, that will come into this kingdom, that will abandon our sin. And Paul recognized this danger. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy, don't be ashamed. Uh, he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul's writing this in prison. He says, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So there's a dichotomy that Paul's setting up. Uh, you can either be ashamed or you can share in suffering. It, it, it's a choice between these two. Uh, it, share in suffering or you can be ashamed of the gospel. And he's saying, don't be ashamed. Suffering is inevitable if you follow Jesus. And there's temptation to fear that. There's a temptation to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, Timothy. Even in churches, so this, this is a danger in the world. It could cost you relationships. It could cost you uh, a job. It could cost you, like you could actually physically suffer when somebody gets upset. There are parts of the world where people are being killed for following Jesus. Like this is a real danger and, and the dangers are of all sorts. Uh, and, and we're not immune to this. And yet even in the church, there's a danger when, when error comes in that distorts or, uh, blocks the gospel, uh, there can be a fear about standing up and, and guarding that good deposit like he calls Timothy to, right? Uh, th it can cost you something to say, hey, I, I think there's an error here. And so in the church, outside of the church, Paul recognizes there's a danger and he's saying, Timothy, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. You need to do this task. Depend on Jesus for the strength to do it, right? He says, uh, be strengthened with the grace that's in Christ Jesus and go forth and do this task that God has assigned you to. As we go into this, uh, this, the rest of this passage and we look at these three images that Paul gives Timothy to help him in this, uh, uh, Paul tells in, in verse seven, he says, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So that's, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna think, we're gonna go slowly through these examples, think and depend on God to reveal it to us. So uh, let, let's pray again. Um, I, I just wanna pray for strength in this, for help in this, for all of us. And, and just join me in this. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Uh, Father God, um, your word is powerful, it is active, it is alive, it is a double-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit. It is uh, a river of, of life to us. It is bread to feast upon. It is what we need. Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear? Would we understand? Would you open our minds as we think through this to understand what it is you're saying through the Apostle Paul. We need you. I pray that you would give me clarity of speech and boldness um, and that you would use this message, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first image he gives us is the good soldier. Uh, verse three says, share in suffering. We saw that, that phrase earlier in, in chapter one. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Not just consider suffering, share in it, embrace it. What's he talking about? Um, why is suffering worth 
embracing. And, and does this mean just like any kind of suffering? Like it doesn't matter uh, what, just find some way to, sh- to suffer and that makes you a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, this is a specific suffering, right? If you're a soldier, you are not a good soldier because you refuse help from a medic. That most likely makes you a bad soldier, right? Uh, the medic comes to you and you say, no, and, and, and he can actually help you. And unless you're trying to spare his life, that doesn't make you a good soldier. Uh, Paul is saying, embrace the suffering that's necessary to the task that you've been assigned, right? Uh, A soldier who sacrifices his life for the good of the mission. This is a good soldier. And Paul doesn't say if suffering comes, he, he, he expects it. This is part and parcel of following Jesus, of being a soldier. It's a certainty. And he's calling us to it. You don't get out of this war without scars, There's no way out without the pain. It's required as part of it. And he continues in verse four, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Talks about civilian pursuits. So I wanna, I wanna imagine the situation, like uh, just picture that you are, you're in a war, you're, uh, uh, you're, you've been briefed on a mission for your, uh, squadron, if that's the word, um, and you're, you're ready, you, you've studied the plan, you know what it is, uh, the time comes and the plan is set in motion. So you show up and you execute the plan uh, according to plan and you invade the enemy's camp and you get to your spot and you've got your rifle and you're ready to take the necessary shot to, to catch this terrorist. And You're there, you're ready, you're counting down the seconds, breathing, and suddenly there's a vibration in your pocket. It's your phone. You take out your phone and, oh, oh, wow, I got 100 likes on Instagram. Uh, And so you start scrolling to see who those likes are. And, oh, there's some comments. I got to respond to these comments. Meanwhile, the mission falls apart, right? The mission, a, a soldier cannot be a good soldier while living for civilian pursuits. You can't Instagram and complete the mission. And I'm not saying you can't have Instagram as a Christian. It's a metaphor. I'm saying uh, we cannot live like the world. We cannot live for our comforts, our passions. We have a new passion, a new purpose. It's defined by our identity. I am a soldier. I've been enlisted. You are a soldier. You've been enlisted if you're a follower of Jesus. And that determines your purpose. What is the purpose? He says, we make it our aim to please him, to please the one who enlisted us. So he's talking about a hope, right? An aim. What is the purpose of your heart? What's your hope? What's your aim? Is your aim deep down, is there a desire to please him? Is there a desire to follow his mission? There's a, a, a mini-series I watched in college um, that I loved in university um, called Band of Brothers. Uh, has anybody seen Band of Brothers? Uh, a good chunk of us. Uh, I loved this, uh, this mini-series. And there's a scene in it that this verse always reminds me of. Uh, there's this, this captain, his name is Captain Spears, and he's like this feared uh, guy who is uh, known to just be an incredible soldier. Uh, and he's complaining uh, to this other soldier about how some of these, uh, some of these 
maybe new recruits, these other soldiers, just they don't get it. They don't understand what being a soldier is about. Um, and, and he actually is talking to one of these soldiers who, who's overcome with fear. Uh, and, and as he's talking to him, um, this soldier says to him, he recounts to him how on D-Day, he woke up in a ditch. Uh, he woke up on a, in a ditch uh, and he just stayed there. He didn't look for his, his company, for his platoon. He just stayed put. And Captain Spears looks at him and says, you know why you didn't get out of that ditch? And, and this soldier says to him, because I was scared. And Captain Spears says something that, this is, this is the quote that sticks with me. He says this, we're all scared. You hid in that ditch because you, because you think there's still hope. But Blythe, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. And the sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. Without mercy, without compassion, without remorse. All war depends on it. Now, I take issue with that mercy, compassion, peace. That, that part doesn't apply to us, but there's something profoundly relevant to us in this. The Christian is never hopeless, right? He says the problem is you've given up hope. The Christian is not hopeless, but here's where the parallel is. The Christian's hope is not in this world. The Christian's hope is not in civilian life, living like the rest of the world. The Christian's hope is in Christ, the Christian's hope has been transported from earthly things to heavenly things. And the thing about that hope is death can't touch it. Death can't take away. Suffering can't rob us of the thing we long for most. And as we're going to see, it's actually helpful. It actually helps us to get to it. It's indispensable in the pursuit of everlasting joy, because following Jesus is dangerous in a fallen world. This is part and parcel with following Jesus. Suffering will happen. So one of the questions we have to ask ourselves is are we willing to suffer? Are we willing to embrace it? Paul would plead with us to embrace suffering and not just any old suffering, but suffering for the cause of Christ. The the, the question that this brings on our hearts is whether we're willing. And it's a bit of a diagnostic on the state of our hearts. Do we love what he loves? Is our hope there? Is that desire in your heart at all to please him? Are you willing to endure suffering? It's a question I have to ask myself. We have to ask ourselves. And the reality is none of us are perfect in this. It's not about having a perfect willingness. None of us are sinless. If we were perfect in this, we'd be totally sinless. We'd live for him all the time. The question is, is the desire there? Is the desire there? Is your life characterized by civilian pursuits? And more pointedly, is there anything that if you lost it or were in danger of losing it, could compel you to deny Christ or turn away from following him? Sit with that question for a second. Is there anything in your life that if God took it away, you'd stop following him? This is a, a, a diagnostic of, of who our Lord is or what our Lord is. So maybe you're here and you're, you profess faith in Jesus, but you feel yourself drifting away maybe towards civilian pursuits. It's 
it's possible for a Christian to be drifting. Um, and, and if that's you, I just, I want to plead with you. I want to plead with you to listen very carefully to Paul's next picture of the rule abiding athlete. The rule abiding athlete, verse five, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, we need to listen carefully to this because it's very possible. This is why I'm praying for for clarity from God in this because it's possible to to really screw this up, to really misunderstand uh, this picture of the rule-abiding athlete. But there's two questions that come to mind when you read this. One, what does being crowned represent? And two, what are the rules, right? He says an athlete that doesn't abide according to the rules doesn't get the crown. You have to abide according to the rules, compete according to the rules, to get the crown. So what's the crown? What are the rules? And he gives us the answer in chapter four. Uh, He says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. This is Paul talking to Timothy about how he's about to die. And the time of my departure has come. That's what that departure is. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Do you see the parallel there? Fight the good fight. Soldier finished the race. The athlete, I have kept the faith, which may be like keeping a garden as we're gonna see with the farmer. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So in this parallel, we, or in this picture, we see that there's a crown and the crown is called the crown of righteousness. That is our being acceptable to God. Uh, And and this is why it's important that we really understand all of Paul's teaching and not just uh, take little chunks and interpret it however we think. Um, We have to know what Paul thinks, right? We talked about the gospel at the beginning of this. How are we saved? What is our righteousness? It's Jesus, right? Our faith in Jesus makes us right with God. It makes us righteous before him. And yet Paul here is saying, that his righteousness, his crown of righteousness depends on his, these conditions, these actions that he fought, he finished, and he kept. And this could be problematic except for the fact that he says what he fought, how he fought, what he kept, what he kept, the faith, right? The faith is what got him this crown of righteousness. And so what we see here is that there is this crown of righteousness and this rule. And what is the rule? Enduring faith. That faith is not just a moment in your life that you, you put your faith in Jesus and then if you turn completely away from him, uh, never to return, it's okay because you did that once. No, true faith, saving faith, endures suffering. Maybe this is a, a, a new idea to some of us, um, that the, this idea that faith must be enduring to be real, a faith that finishes the race. Uh, I want to take us, take us to chapter two and look at something. So back in the chapter we were in, verses 11 through 13, this is what Paul says. He gives this little saying. He says, this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. This is a glorious promise. If you die with Jesus, now that's not talking about dying in your life even though that's true too, if you die with him, meaning die to self and and enter into his death through faith, that's what he teaches in Romans, right? As we put our faith in him, we die with Christ and then we rise with Christ. Uh, That's what baptism represents. If we've died with him, we will live with him. If 
we're united to Jesus's death on the cross by faith, we will have everlasting life and everlasting joy in that life. It's a glorious promise. It's why we gather together. But then he says a few other things. He says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And then he says this, if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So these are the rules. These are the rules of the Christian life that we must die with him in faith to live. And that faith, if it's real, is going to endure. It, It may sound to you as you see this, that he's like taking back with one hand what he gave in the gospel with the other, right? Like uh, this security, die with him and you will live. Yes, I can go through my life with that, right? But then when he puts this if with the endure to reign and this if about denying, for maybe for me, it, it causes a discomfort at first. There's like this, uh, are, are you taking away? How can I have security in this gospel if there's conditions like this? If it, does this depend on me? And the answer is no, it doesn't. It does not depend on you. I want to show you something uh, f- from uh, verse, uh, verse 10. Just a few verses, well, one verse before this, right? It says, Paul's talking, he says, therefore I endure everything. He's talking about endurance for the sake of the elect. The elect are those who are going to endure to the end. Uh, if, you, if you have saving faith, you are called the elect, the chosen. Uh, that, the, he gives a that. The reason for it is that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So follow me here. Paul is is using this idea of what's called a means of grace. A means of grace. Maybe you haven't heard that term. Uh, This idea that grace uh, comes to forgive us, but it also, we, in our Christian lives, we have to be sustained by the grace of God. And a means of grace is the means by which God sustains us. So, So an example of this would be right now, preaching the word. Why do we gather? Why do we preach the word? Because I believe and the scripture teaches that you as a Christian are not just going to persevere and endure to the end just because uh, like your faith, your endurance doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens in real life and God sustains you by real means that my preaching right now is meant, the word of God is meant to be the means by which God sustains your faith to the last day. It doesn't happen in a bubble. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen locked away, but God has various means that he uses. So we gather to remember grace in communion. We gather to remember what Jesus has done for us in communion. And it's a means of sustaining us, calling us back to remembering. And God uses these means. We gather as a church. We worship. We pray, right? These are means by which God gives us the totally free gift of sustaining us to the end. But he doesn't do this and say in a vacuum. He doesn't say, uh, uh, an example would be, we, we don't become a Christian and then just float the lazy river into our everlasting joy. Rather, we become a Christian and we, we get enlisted and he says, now put on the armor and fight. And if we've been born again, we will fight. 
So the warnings that Christ gives, the warnings that the Bible is full of, that Paul gives, the expectation is that these warnings, it's not something we just brush aside and say, oh, I'm gonna persevere. Uh, I don't have to worry about these. No, the warnings are actually a means by which you're going to persevere. If you are living in unrepentant sin, uh, hear me, unrepentant sin, if you have a deliberation that I'm just gonna live in sin and I don't care because I'm secure, Paul's warnings are meant to shake you out of that security so that your security is not in that, but your security is in Christ, that you would run to him in repentance. And and as you run to him, he assures you that you are his and you're going to endure. You follow that? Uh, We get really confused often as we read the scriptures and can think these are passages that are saying you can lose your salvation. You cannot. If you die with him, you will live with him. And you will endure and therefore reign with him. But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. You must receive and take the means of grace that he gives us. And the confidence we have is that by his spirit, he will give us all the means of grace necessary and we will persevere. Suffering in this way is a test that reveals the nature of our faith. It challenges us. If we're not willing to endure suffering, for the sake of Christ, if we're not willing, if we're willing to turn away from him, these warnings would say, don't turn, turn back to him, run to him, depend on his grace. Don't trust in the ability to just float on to eternity. Trust in Jesus, a real living trust in Jesus, a living faith. Fight, don't float into eternity. Suffering is the indispensable, indispensable in the pursuit of joy because God has made it a necessary test of the genuineness of our faith. And the thing about, suffer, about our faith, true saving faith, it's suffering proof. Faith actually strengthens it. That's the reality. That's, so Paul in Romans 5, he talks about this. He says, uh, when we suffer, so we, we can rejoice because suffering produces Endurance and endurance produces character or what's called a provenness uh, that our faith is real and that produces what hope and hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. As we suffer, suffering thrusts us into greater dependence on the only one who can sustain us through it. And it reveals that our faith is real. So my plea with you in all of your suffering, thrust yourself upon the mercy of Jesus. He is faithful. He will receive you. He will keep you. And to not live in this fear of uh, anxiety of, am I saved? Am I not? That's, that's not the point. The point is, Jesus is trustworthy. You run to him, he will keep you. You die with him, you will live. You will endure. So run to him and depend on him. You don't have to live in fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of faith power, sound mind. So the next image that he gives us, this last one as we get close to wrapping up is this hardworking farmer. Verse six, uh, it it, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So we had the, the good soldier who shares in suffering, right? Doesn't flee it for civilian pursuits. We've got the the athlete who endures the necessary rule of suffering in the Christian life 
to get to the crown. That is a free gift, but he must go through the path. And then here we have this picture of the hardworking farmer who ought to receive the first fruits, who ought to receive the first share of the crops. And what's fascinating is this word ought. Uh, Salvation is a gift purchased by Christ. We've said this um, and and we'll keep saying it. Um, And if it is a a gift, why would Paul point to this oughtness, this manner of how things ought to be? Uh, Why would he point like we don't earn our salvation through the suffering. So what is this thing with the farmer? Why would he point to this oughtness? Shouldn't, Like, doesn't Christ, Christ earns it. So doesn't he get the first share of the reward? Shouldn't shouldn't our hope be that as he has done it, we will gain this reward? Isn't it true that we deserve nothing? It is true that we deserve nothing. And actually we deserve eternal punishment and we get everlasting joy, which is glorious news. So what is Paul talking about here? Why would he point to this ought? And I think the importance of this passage, the importance of this, why he adds this in the string of these three examples is to to emphasize something different than what he did in the athlete. The athlete tells us about an is. Suffering is a necessary thing before you get to the crown. Here he's telling us an ought. Suffering ought to happen. It is fitting, which is a fascinating thing. He's calling us to, to, to join in suffering because the reward is worthy of hard work. It's worthy of suffering. This is not a call, Timothy, earn the reward. That is not what he's saying. If you read Paul across the, all of his works, you can see it's so evident, even in this same uh, chapter. That's not what he's saying. You don't earn it. So what is he saying? The reward is worthy of hard work. So because you have the reward, work hard, Timothy. Because you have the reward, do what you ought to do. It's not a manner of is, it's a manner of, a matter of ought. So Philippians 1.27 is a good uh, illustration of this. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Did you catch that phrase? Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. What Paul is not saying is, hey, here's the gospel. Now you need to earn the gospel. It's not a loan that we need to pay off and and God doesn't hold the gift over our heads to shame us. Paul's appealing to a sense of value, a sense of this gospel is so glorious. Now get your life in line with it. Work, suffer for the cause of Christ because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of all suffering. It's an appeal to the very heart of holiness. That holiness, that Christ-likeness is agreeing with God about the oughts of this world. What ought to be? That we say, this is the path that that if I'm proclaiming Christ to people, it's going to cost me something. I might suffer and, and my life can be a means of grace 
in, in the lives of others by my laboring for them with my gifts, whether that's preaching, whether that's hospitality, whether that's you name it, the, the, even just the, the non-spiritual gifts that God's given us in our lives, are the things he's given us to steward, right? We have money, we have uh, resources, we have breath, right? What are we doing with our breath? And, and God would call us to live a life worthy of the gospel, not as a means of meriting it, but this is actually the end that he's created the world for. The aim would be that we would be transformed to share in the very joy of Christ. Perfect love, sacrificial love. And so Paul calling him to embrace this oughtness that if you have received this gospel, you can heartily say, amen, right? That Jesus ought to be obeyed. That Jesus ought to be worshiped. More than anything is right in the universe, Jesus ought to be praised, adored, cherished, worshiped. This is the heart of the Christian. We make it our aim to please him, not to earn his love, but because we love the one who first loved us. And so Paul calling Timothy to embrace this suffering for the, for the good of the mission, because it's necessary as part of the path and because we ought to. It's indispensable because it ought to be. Paul calling him to that points him to one last thing. He says, remember Jesus, verse eight. And he doesn't just say, remember Jesus. He says, remember Jesus risen from the dead risen from the dead. This is the key that enables the endurance. This is the key that enables the sacrifice. This is the key that enables the Christ-like life, the fearless life, the life that says suffering is inevitable in the cause of love, but I'm going to share in it. I'm going to embrace it. Why? Because suffering can't touch me. Why? Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And if he is risen, I will rise too. Death cannot steal my hope, cannot steal my joy, it cannot steal my eternity. And suffering will only produce more hope in the Christian life. Embrace this suffering. Remember Jesus who endured this suffering for you. We follow a savior who gave his life to save ours, to transform us, and to give us everlasting joy. And if we endure with our eyes fixed on Christ, the only way we will, we will reign with him. We will reign with him. Your life and my life are meant to be a means of grace to others. Like we, we are meant to stir one another up by way of reminder, as Hebrews says, to love and good works, that we wouldn't grow weary in doing good, but we would go forth and reap the reward, right? That we gather together to encourage one another. The fight is hard. 2020 is not going to be easy, but we have a hope. So who is your life serving? Who are you suffering for? Do you see yourself as that vital to this body? Because you are. God has given you spiritual gifts to use for the building up of this body. God has given you words. He's given you the gospel. 
And you are meant to steward all of those things so that all of us make it. Yes, we will make it. If we're a true follower of Jesus, we will. But the way it's gonna happen is through these means of grace that we are to one another. Who is your life a means of grace to? This, so God has been putting this on my heart heavy this past year as I've been, uh, the, the end of the year as I've been reflecting on 2019 with this little phrase that what he puts you over, he puts you under. Uh, what, if God puts you over something to steward it, you are to get under it and bear the burdens of others. Are you stewarding this grace? Are you sustaining one another? You are not uh, a, a worthless piece of the kingdom of God. You are not here simply to receive. You are ne needed to give. Your gifts matter. You may not be preaching week by week, but your words, your actions, your love will sustain me. It will sustain our pastors. It will sustain one another. We cannot do this apart from all the means of grace that God provides. Let your life be a means of grace in 2020 to others. Timothy had a specific task. What, what are the tasks in your life? He was to train men for the eldership. What has God given you to steward? Who can you invest in in 2020? What, maybe there's a college student who is, uh, is, is, doesn't have family here that you can adopt into your family as another member, that you can have them over. And just, these are practical things how we sustain one another. Maybe it's sending a text to somebody uh, that came to mind and not just, they come to mind and, and you think about how you're concerned about them. And maybe it's actually calling them up and, and encouraging them in the faith. It's living our lives for others. It, it, it's living our lives for the cause of Christ. This is what he's been convicting me of this year, that, that my life is meant to be a means of grace to others. It's not just about me persevering to the end. It's about me helping others persevere to the end and about others, us helping each other persevere. So let's do that in 2020. Your hope is in Jesus. He's the only hope you have. And if you live, die with him, you will live with him. If you haven't died with Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in him, I wanna invite you this morning to put your faith in the only one who can save you and the one who promises to save you. He will save you and he will sanctify you. He will, he will cause you to endure and persevere to the end. And he's gonna use means of grace to do it. He's gonna use the people in this room He's gonna use his word. He's gonna use worship, prayer, and a hundred other things you can't imagine. 2020, let's embrace the indispensable role of suffering. Let's pray. Lord God, um, suffering is inevitable in the Christian life. Jesus, you said that. You told us that we would suffer if we followed you. And it's scary at times. It's hard. Any paint portrait of suffering that, that says it's this easy thing that isn't hard to endure is foolish. And yet we have a great hope. Lord, I pray that 
when love requires suffering, that your grace, as we're strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, we would be strengthened, we would embrace it for the cause of Christ. Lord, I pray that in this room, we would learn to love each other in this way. And we would learn to love our neighbors in this way. That we would learn to embrace the oughtness of living lives worthy of the gospel. And that in embracing that oughtness, others would be sustained. Lost people would come to know you. This world would be changed. That we would so embrace it that even if it costs us our lives, we wouldn't shrink back because you are with us and you have risen Jesus from the dead. You've hidden our life in heaven with you. Death can't touch it. Suffering can't touch it. Lord, give us sober-mindedness and great hope as we go into 2020. May your kingdom advance. May Montreal be transformed because we embraced the suffering that is necessary in the cause of love. We love you and we need you and we thank you that you will help us to persevere. You will cause us to persevere to the end. If we are your children, Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.